Well, good morning, church family. As you can tell, uh, this morning's a little bit different for us as we are coming to the end of another incredible Disciple Now weekend for our students. And so you'll see a lot of matching shirts and uh, you'll probably hear a lot about the fun activities and the ways that God has moved this weekend. And there are probably many stories that will come that we won't even hear about today, but they will follow at some point in time. Um, Our students have been uh, thinking about uh, a theme this weekend, and the theme is walk in Christ. Now listen, we didn't want them to have all the fun this weekend, so here's what we're gonna do. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning uh, helping to close out their D-Now weekend by also jumping into the same verse they've been looking at and exploring all weekend long together with several other churches and students across Lee County. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to Colossians chapter number two. Colossians chapter number two. Now, as you're heading there, I want to Uh, ask you a question. How many of you in the room, just by show of hands, would tell me that you love eating crawfish? Anybody out there? Crawfish is a thing for you. Okay, maybe 35% of the room. I'm good with that. Uh, Well, in case you don't know me, my name's Danny Boudreaux, so that should be a hint for you that I absolutely love crawfish. Now, I love eating them, and I love pretty much anything that might have them in them. And if you know me, I'm a pretty picky eater, but if it's got crawfish in it, I will just about try anything. But more than loving to eat crawfish, I'll be honest with you, I really love making crawfish. I love boiling them. I love preparing them for people to eat. Almost as much as I love eating them, I like to cook them. Now, here's what I thought. I thought I would let you in on a little secret this morning. I thought I would let you in on the process for a Boudreaux crawfish boil, all right? So if you've got notes, all right, this is legendary, uh, what's about to come next, a Boudreaux crawfish boil. Now, first, here's what's got to happen. I got to make sure that I have everything that I need for the boil. So obviously, I've got to have a sack of crawfish, right? Like without the crawfish, we can't eat any. It's just going to be some really flavorful water of some kind that's boiling in a pot, right? So we've got to reserve a sack of crawfish, which around here I think is a little bit more difficult, but we got to put one on reserve so we know we've got what we're wanting to eat. Then I got to make sure I got a full tank of propane. I got to make sure I've got all my equipment. Do I have my pot? Do I have my bowl basket? Do I have my cleaning basket? Do I have my burner? Do I have my ice chest? Do I have my paddle? Then listen, I got to make a list because I, I, I wanted to say I've got to go buy everything that I need for the crawfish bowl. But to be honest, I usually just make a list and ask Kayla to go buy everything uh, for the crawfish bowl. So I've got to have a list of all the things that have got to go in there besides just the crawfish. So I've got to have a Louisiana crab bowl. I, I am no other way. I'm not a Zatarans. I'm not a, 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 a swamp fire. I'm not a whatever other kind of seasoning you can think of. I am a Louisiana crab bowl kind of guy. Now I may throw some bags of other seasonings in there as well. Maybe a couple of those so that I can spice it up a little bit. I got to have as many mushrooms as possible. I've got to have sausage, onions, corn, garlic, potatoes, lemons, and I'm be honest with anything else that we just think creatively that might be nice to try in a crawfish bowl just as a side note if you haven't tried a whole pineapple dropped in there I highly recommend that for your next crawfish bowl so listen I got to get everything together before we can boil 
the crawfish, right? Then comes the actual boiling process. I gotta cook them. So here's what happens, all right? Boudreaux crawfish boil. I know I'm talking kind of fast. You gotta write kind of fast, but don't miss it. This is good stuff, all right? I gotta wash out my pot, my basket, my cleaning basket, my scoop, my ice chest. I typically dump my sack of crawfish into my cleaning basket where I can wash off all the dirt, all the grass, all the sticks. I can pick out anything that I don't want. Then I dump them into an ice chest and I throw salt on them multiple, multiple, multiple times so that I can purge them to make sure that they can be as clean as possible. Now, if you've never really looked at these guys, they're kind of dirty boogers and so uh, you want to clean them. Uh, certainly as much as you can. Then I fill the pot up a little over half full with water and I turn on the burner. Now I want another little side note for you. If you haven't purchased a double jet burner, you need to do that today. Put that on your list for Father's Day coming up, families. Double jet burner. It is absolutely necessary, all right? Then I put my potatoes, my onions, my lemons, my garlic, my crab bowl, all of that goes into the pot and I wait for the boiling process to begin. Now while I'm waiting for the water to boil, this is when I'm cleaning the crawfish a couple more times to make sure that they're clean. Once the water begins to boil, I throw my crawfish and my sausage into the pot. And then I just wait. I wait for the water to start boiling again. And then I throw my mushrooms and my corn. I throw all that into the pot. And then I set a timer for five minutes. And as soon as five minutes is up, I turn off the burner. I put a small amount of cooking oil on top. I throw the biggest bag of ice that I can. And I close it all up. And I just let it soak for at least 20 minutes. All right? Did you get all that? I got it written down if you need it, I can email it to you later, all right? Then, last part, right? This is the part that everybody loves the most. Then comes eating the crawfish, right? So here's what that looks like, Boudreaux's uh, crawfish bowl. We set out a big table, we throw trash bags all over the table. We make sure that there are buckets or trash bags or trash cans or boxes or the old sacks that the crawfish came out of, whatever you have so that people have plenty of places to throw their shells as they're eating. Then we grab the basket full of all the crawfish and everything else that you put in the bowl. We drain it real good, and then we throw the entire thing out across the table. We set out plenty of napkins, containers of sweet tea, and then we eat. That's what happens at a Boudreaux crawfish boil. Now, I know what you're thinking. Danny, that's a lot to do to eat something, right? Like that is a serious process. Let me tell you something, friends. You don't just get a craving for crawfish and then run into the kitchen and whip some up really quick, right? There's a process if you wanna eat crawfish. Now this is a little different than most things that we encounter in our lives right now. Because if you ask me, our world wants instant everything, right? Like, could we just have something, Danny, out there in a bag that's instant crawfish, and when I pop it open, boom, there they are, perfectly seasoned and warm and, and exactly how I want them? Well, no, it doesn't really happen that way with crawfish. And we live in a world that hates this type of process because they want immediate, they want right now, this could be microwavable meals. By the way, how many of you stand by the microwave when you're warming something up and a minute just seems like too long? Anybody else out there? Like, oh my, this is the longest minute I've ever stood uh, in front of a microwave, right? This is the longest minute of my life. We have streaming services where you can 
access the movies that are still in the theaters in the comfort of your own home because why wait for a movie uh, to come out? We have Walmart pickup. You don't even have to go into the store anymore. You can sit in your car while someone else puts your groceries in your trunk. We've got Amazon to buy whatever you want and get it as soon as possible. You can get a new pair of clothes. You can get groceries at your front door. You can get a brand new car if you want to, all by the way at the click of a button. It's the kind of instant access the world in which we live in operates in. But can I tell you something? The best things in life still involve a process. The best things in life take more than just a click of a button. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I'll just give you a few of them for me. I remember the day that I got saved. I remember the day when I gave my life to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Even though it happened on that day, it didn't happen all in that one moment. It wasn't all happening in that vacuum. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't have even been at that church in the first place hearing about Jesus if all of the past events of my life had not happened the way that they happened. God had been working in my heart for months. He had used different people, different worship services, different conversations, different situations. He had used personal time of my own as I've read through scripture. He did all of that in this process of leading me to faith in him. I'll tell you about the day that I got married. I don't know about you, but it didn't just happen instantly. I didn't bump into Kayla and go, hey, right now? Sure, right? Let's get married. Start life together. No, 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 listen. I had to spend countless hours and dollars convincing Kayla that she should marry me, right? It did not happen instantly. As a matter of fact, there are many of you to this day who go, I don't know what you did, but whatever it was, good job, right? I had to work a couple of different jobs to buy an engagement ring. I had to get a, a, a steady job. I had to get a house. I had to get financially stable. Then the wedding day came, right, with all those preparations of the ceremony with clothes and groomsmen and church and preacher and honeymoon. It did not all happen in a vacuum. There was a process. What about this one? My children being born. By the way, that did not just happen. We didn't just wake up one day and then boom, there's Josiah, right? That's not exactly what takes place. Now, I won't go into the process that took place before Kayla was pregnant, but let's talk about after that, all right? The pregnancy itself, right? That was a little bit. The prepping our house for a baby, carry, uh, Kayla carrying uh, them for so long. The day our children were born, doctors, hospitals, family, giving birth, all those things, right? It was a process. Hey, what about this one? Pastoring here at First Baptist Church, South Tilla. You may not know this, but that did not just happen instantly. It was not just like, hey, you want to move here? Sure, why not? And then boom, Here's our family. No, no, listen, we had numerous phone conversations, video calls, questions that had to be answered, touring the church, more in-person meetings, meeting with the staff, preaching on a Sunday to decide if this is where God wanted us to be. Every good thing in life involves a process. Now you say, Danny, you spent a whole lot of time talking about nothing. Here's why. You ready? Crawfish bowl, I know. They're fun, but not that big of a deal, right? Even the major things in my life. Awesome, great, but not as big as this one. You ready? It's not just these things. It's not just most important things in our life that have a process. Even our relationship with Jesus requires a process. And I don't know about you, but that, in fact, is the absolute best thing, and it does not happen instantly. It's not just one moment. It is a process. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look at Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse number 6. Let me show you what this process looks like. Colossians 2, 
verse six. Read it with me. Here's what it says. Here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Verse seven, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, these are the verses that our students have been looking at all weekend long. You know what these verses are really giving us a picture of? They're giving us a picture of the process that it takes, that it looks like as we walk in Jesus every day. Paul's urging those believers the same way that God's urging us today to walk in him, to live your life for Jesus. And this process, by the way, like all others, has to have a beginning. And this is what Paul mentions at the very first part of verse number six. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let me show you this first part of the greatest process of any of our lives. Faith in Jesus is where it begins where it begins. This is where the walking in Jesus starts. It starts with our faith in him. You can't walk in him if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Have you trusted in the work of Jesus to make you right with God? Nothing else we're about to talk about this morning matters if you haven't, as Paul wrote, received Christ Jesus the Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul mentions the work of Jesus several times in Colossians. Let me point you to just a couple of them. This one's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. He wrote, For in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He did all that in Jesus. Colossians 1.27, he goes on. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Is Christ in you the hope of glory. He goes on, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, listen to this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He said, Danny, why are you telling us all this? Because think about what Paul means when he wrote this simple phrase, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Here's what he means. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We've been filled. We've been regenerated. We've been adopted. We've been justified. This is the work of Jesus for you and for me as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Listen, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've been at D-Now this entire weekend and you are begging, you are longing, you want to know what do I do next? How do I place my faith in Jesus? Maybe you want to know how this process of walking in him can begin. Well, can I just break it down real simple for you? 
You say, Danny, what does it look like? How does it happen? Where do, I, where do I start? How do I begin the process of walking in Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that God will convict people of their sin and draw them to himself. Jesus said it like this in John 16, 8. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin. He brings about a holy remorse that breaks our heart and creates a desire within us for something more. I don't know if that's you out there, but is he breaking your heart? Is he convicting you over your sin to where there's a holy remorse that says, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to be where I am. There's got to be a better way. Listen, when we realize that our goodness and our merit isn't enough, this is when that change begins to take place. Matter of fact, Paul would say it to the church at Rome like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you feel that type of conviction? And then Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now think about this. The conviction of our sin, the holy remorse and brokenness is the beginning of God drawing you to himself. Listen to how the apostle Peter describes this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Listen to this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God convicts and draws people out of their darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen, that might be you today, friend. Maybe you're in that darkness. You feel that conviction. Maybe it's this weekend from a Dean Howe service. Maybe it's a, a, a months and months of Jesus preparing your heart. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you've been saying no. Maybe you just thought you were hungry. I don't know what you were feeling in those moments, but here's what I know. If Jesus is convicting you and drawing you to himself, what will you do with that type of of knowledge. Well, here's what the Bible tells us happens next. If that's you, then we must repent and believe. This is all throughout the New Testament. We must choose to receive the work of Jesus on our behalf. Our works will never be good enough to meet God's standard of perfection. We need help, and we find it in Jesus. I love how the Apostle Peter describes beginning a relationship with Jesus in Acts chapter 2. He's just finished preaching about how Jesus died on the cross to, to pay the sin debt of the world and has risen from the grave to offer new life to those who will place their faith in him. Now listen after he preaches this to what those who are listening ask him. Here's what they say. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now don't miss this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean, Danny? They were convicted. They were being drawn out of their darkness into his marvelous light. And they said, Peter, Jesus did this. He reconciled us. He redeemed us. He forget. He died in my place so that I could be justified before God. Yes, that's what he did. Well, if that's true, what do I do? That's what they asked him. Here's Peter's response back to him. Repent. 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He tells them, as the Bible will show us over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, he tells them, repent and believe. They heard the message of Jesus and they repented and they believed. Now, I want a little side note here. Because at some point in history, we started understanding that faith in Jesus was a basic acknowledgement or agreement with who he is. But faith, as described by Jesus, is much more than that. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I can agree with the speed limit, but it doesn't mean that I will follow it. Acknowledgement and agreement is not the same as faith. When people place their faith in Jesus, it was active. Faith in the New Testament is an action word. You say, how? They were headed one direction, and then Jesus showed up, and they trusted in him. They put their faith in him, and then they started heading a different direction because faith is more than agreement or acknowledgement. Faith is obedience. Why do you think Jesus says over and over again in the Gospels that your faith has made you well? Does he mean that we can save ourselves or that we can heal ourselves? Of course not. It means that because they actively sought out Jesus, because they trusted that he can do what they couldn't, they were healed and they were forgiven. Jesus did the work, but their faith or obedience brought them there. I wonder who might be here this morning who needs to respond to the conviction of Jesus this same exact way. He's been drawing, he's been showing you, he's been, he's been putting it before you for years maybe even. And he's finally saying, hey, I need more than just an acknowledgement. I need you to step out in obedience and put your faith, put your trust in me. All right, I spent a little time there on the process. Let's keep going, because that's just the first part of the process, okay? He keeps going, right? This is just the beginning. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. Will you confess him? Will you surrender to a better way? But the process goes on. He keeps going in verses six and seven of Colossians two. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, faith in Jesus is where the process begins, but don't miss the next step. Following after Jesus is where it builds. It keeps going. It starts with faith in Jesus. It continues as we follow after Jesus every single day. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you've made him the Lord of your life. Here's what that means. It means you've given him control over everything that you are and everything that you do. It means that you will live in obedience to him. Now, I don't know about you, but this paints a different picture of Christianity than sometimes we are sold. There's more to following Jesus than simply a one-time decision to accept him and his goodness. Paul would say that making him your Lord would be followed by obedience to Jesus. Actually, our idea of faith and belief is wrapped up in a decision-based approach to Jesus. This is historically how it's been. You say, what do you mean? Walking out. Fill out a card, say a prayer, get dunked in some water, get on a church roll. Now listen, I'm not bashing these types of things, and I'm not trying to say that they're wrong. That's not the case. However, they are incomplete. They're not all that there is. To repent and believe is not just a decision, but it is a direction that we will follow for the rest of our days. 
Though the process of walking with Jesus begins with faith, it builds with following. The decision to follow is the first step to following, but since it's only a step, then there's got to be more to the process. Now listen, maybe that's you in the room this morning. Maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus and it's been years and years and years back. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you been following after him since that day? Faith and belief in Jesus' terminology means not just to agree or acknowledge, it means to obey. Here's how John teaches this in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The Bible is clear, repent and believe means to follow after Jesus in obedience. This is why Paul wrote, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. See the connection there? You must receive Jesus as your Lord. There is no other way to walk in him. But that leads to following him as you're rooted and built up in him. Do you see it? Both are in him. We can't do either apart from his leadership. Both are founded in faith and continue as we follow in the same obedience in which we started in. Why is it that we think following Jesus was a one-time decision of trusting in his ways to save us, but it doesn't continue as we trust in his ways for us to live out the rest of our days? Why is it that we think we could trust in his death and not receive his life? Why is it that we think we can put our faith in him but never have to follow him after that? If that's your idea of what a relationship with God looks like, friends, you're missing it. As C.S. Lewis would say, you've given up the beach for a sandbox. You missed it. He desires the same obedience that began a relationship with him to be the same obedience that you walk in every single day. You know what the difference is? It just gets deeper. It just gets built stronger. It just matures and matures and matures. It's like a plant. These are the two examples that he gives. The very first thing that begins to grow after the seed is cracked is its roots. Why? It's very simple. Without the roots to support the plant, it can't grow. Now, I know it's an oversimplified version of how plants are, are how, they, how they work, but, but this is the truth. He's saying the same thing of us. The plant needs the root for growth. So do we. He gives another image. He talks about a building being built up. Think about when something is built, starts from the bottom up. If there's nothing solid for the structure to stand on, then don't build it. But don't forget there's also blueprints, right? We need a plan for what needs to be built. And there's also the building itself. At some point, something is actually built. What's awesome about Paul's example is that Jesus is all of those things. He's the bottom. He's our foundation. He's the blueprints, the model that we look to. He's the building, the ultimate goal we're striving after. This is why Paul uses the phrase rooted and built up. We're going to go deeper into him. And as we go deeper in following in obedience every day, he begins to build up something in our lives that we could not do on our own. He builds us. You say, Danny, who does the work in us being saved? Jesus does. You say, Danny, who does the work in us becoming more like Christ? Jesus does. You see the connection? Both of them are in him. Let me ask you something. Let me leave you with this thought. Let me ask you something. So you're saying, Danny, 
Obedience to Jesus is how I'm saved, absolutely. And obedience to Jesus is how I continue to follow, absolutely. So what you're saying is it's all wrapped up in my obedience to Jesus, absolutely. The same way that you repented and believed when you placed your faith in him is the same way that you will continue to repent and believe every day as you grow deeper and are built up and established in him. Can I just let you in on a secret? I bet there are many like this in the room. I've had to repent and trust Jesus way more on this side of my salvation than I ever had to do on the other side. Anybody with me? Every day something else comes up. Every day he tells me to turn from that. Every day he tells me to repent. Every day he says, trust me more, trust me more, trust me more. And as I grow deeper, he begins to build up something that I could not. It's all wrapped up in the way that we obey Jesus. Let me show you this last thing. Back at verse seven, he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, faith in Jesus is where the process begins. Say, Danny, I wanna walk in him. Well, how do I do that? Well, it begins when you place your faith and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, who died for your sins, who rose from the grave to bring you new life. It's not your life, it's his. He gives it because he paid the debt. Walk in him, right? Will you put your faith in Jesus. But the process continues. Following after Jesus is where the process builds. Once we've placed our faith in him in obedience, we now follow after him in that same obedience. Let me show you this last one. Faith in Jesus is where the process begins. Following after Jesus is where the process builds. But watch this. Fruitful for Jesus is where the process becomes. It's where it ends. This is where it continues to circulate, fruitful for Jesus. Through Jesus, our faith is confirmed. We are permanently placed in him. We are not just rooted and built up, but we are strong and immovable because Jesus has founded us. The process that we go through is the purpose. The purpose for what? Fruitfulness for Jesus. The word for established means to cause someone to be firm or established. Jesus made reference to this in a teaching to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7. I want to read it to you. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. They say, Danny, what was the difference in these two different establishments? Because there is truth to this. We're all building something. Some of us are building on the rock Some of us are building on the truth that is Jesus. Some of us are not. And whatever we are rooted in, whatever we're built up in, that is what we're trusting in. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to trust in anything else except for Jesus. And if that's true for you, then here's my question. What's being built in your life? Is there fruit from what Jesus is doing? Has the root produced any fruit? You know what happens when something is established 
It may have been nothing but a foundation before, but when it's established, you see a building there, amen? This is what happens in us. This is the process of following after Jesus. It begins in our brokenness, obediently coming to the cross, saying, Jesus, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I need you. I lay my life down in faith and trust and obedience to what you've done. Now that I have, I can follow a better way. I don't have to live according to my old life. I don't have to live according to what I think or what I want. I don't have to suffer through the slavery of sin that I once lived in. Now I can follow in freedom after Jesus the same obedience to give my life to him is the same obedience as I trust in his word daily to make me more like Christ. You know what happens as this process goes? As this process goes, guess what happens? A building is built. A tree has grown. An establishment is there. Fruit starts to show. Why? Because Jesus starts to use you for his glory and for his honor. Can I ask you something, friends? Where are you in that process? You say, Danny, I want to walk in him. I want to live for Jesus. I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to follow him. Danny, I want to walk in him. What do I need to do? Well, friends, here's what I would tell you. Have you placed your faith in him? Because that's where it starts. You say, well, I know I, I, not, I, I believe he's real. The demons believe he's real, right? Of course he's real. Faith is not just believing that he's real. It's believing that he is better and obediently submitting your life to him? Have you placed your faith in him? Yeah, Danny, I placed my faith in him. Okay, are you following after him? You say, Danny, what do you mean? How much time do you spend discovering the ways of God and then living in those ways? How often do you open up your Bible and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? How often do you spend meaningful time with him where he convicts you of your sin, which by the way, was the same way that he did when he saved you, He's still convicting you of your sin as you obediently follow after him so that you can repent and believe. He did it when you were broken and he said, you don't have the way, you can't do it, I can do it. And you obediently surrendered to that, you repented and you believed. Every day as you follow after him, it's the same thing. Your roots go deeper in the word, he shows you more about the darkness in yourself and he says, repent from that and believe, obey, follow me. See the process? And as that happens, you say, Danny, that's me. I place my faith in Jesus. I'm following after him. Well, here's what I would ask you. What's come of it? Is there something that can be seen? Is God using you for his glory? Is there fruit being produced? Because that's how the process works. You say, well, Danny, I don't think anything's happening. Well, here's what I would ask you. Are you actually following after him? Well, I'm trying my best, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Well, then I'll tell you to back up one more. Have you actually placed your faith in Jesus? You see the process? You can't skip the steps. They're important. You see in the Bible, when you read the New Testament, salvation shows itself in three different tenses. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, there's the past tense, right, where I was saved. That was the moment in time where you made the decision to place your faith in Jesus to obediently surrender your life to him. Place your faith in him. You were saved. You know what else the Bible says? It says that you are being saved. Every single day, salvation is working itself out in you. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, right now, presently, yesterday, tomorrow, God's continuing to show me things in my life that are not like him that need to change. You know how he's showing them to me? 
because I'm spending time being rooted and built up in him. He's not just going to show it to me when I'm sitting on the couch eating potato chips watching a ball game. Nothing wrong, by the way, eating potato chips watching a ball game. But if you think, Danny, that's what I've done for the last 10 years of my life, why am I not more like Jesus? Because if you're not rooting and built up in the things of God, he's not showing you what needs to change. You say, Danny, whew, that's where I am. Well, I would say, how often do you spend meaningful time with God? Because listen, every day, salvation's happening. You were saved, you are being saved. Can I tell you something? One day, you will be forever more saved. One day, we won't be here. You know where we'll be? We'll be in heaven. You say, Danny, this is an extreme process. I agree. You say, Danny, that sounds like a lot of work sometimes. You say, Danny, this seems like a struggle. Amen. Welcome to my life. But can I tell you something? Just like the process with everything else, it was all worth it. I let you in on a Boudreaux crawfish bowl and you thought that was stupid, okay. At the end of the bowl, the best part always happens. We get to eat it. The finished product is there and we get to enjoy all that work that was put in. We get to sit down around a table and enjoy the company of one another and eat the good food and spend time together and celebrate. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? In Revelation chapter 19, this is the we'll be saved one day moment. There's a picture that God gives to the apostle John. It's a picture of Jesus, the lamb, and the church, his bride, at a wedding feast. It's a picture of his church, us, those who believe and follow after him. One day, when we're in glory, and God's brought all things to perfection, there we are, sitting around a table, and the process that's been preparing all that food for years and years and years, the crawfish bowl that's been happening that you didn't know was happening, which was actually Jesus making you more like him day in and day out and day in and day out. Hey, listen, one day that process is going to come to an end when we're sitting around the table with the lamb, with Jesus, and we're eating the food and we're celebrating the victory. Why? Because the process was always worth it. Hey, listen, I don't know who's in here this morning. You say, Danny, I don't want to miss that feast. I agree. I don't want you to miss it either. You say, Danny, how can I not miss it? Are you walking in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you following after him? Are you fruitful for him? Is that the process of your life? I don't know where you are. I don't know where that fits. I don't know what Jesus is showing you. I don't know how you need to respond. But as always, here's what I know. When God's word is preached, it demands a response from us. So here's what I'm gonna do. This poor D-Now crowd, by the way. I'm sorry, that was a long sermon. I know y'all are tired. I mean, obviously. Some ones that are sleeping are even more obvious. I'm gonna be right back there in that lobby. Me and others, Brother Corey will be back there. Can I just tell you something? If you're here and you say, Danny, I, I, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. You can't walk in him until you do. Listen, you wanna come find one of us? We'd love to open up our Bible, 
show you how you can start a relationship with Jesus. You say, Danny, I've been saved for years, but I just, I, I don't think anything's changing. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, listen, I'll be right back there in that lobby. If you need to come and talk with me, I, I would love to pray with you, give you some tips on maybe some things that you can do and how you can root yourself and build yourself up in Jesus. Maybe you're missing the following part that should come after your faith in Jesus. You say, Danny, I'm there. I'm, I'm doing what I can. But I just, man, I don't, I don't know how Jesus wants me to respond. I don't know how he wants me to serve. I don't know how to be fruitful. Hey, friends, can I tell you something? Come find me in that lobby back there. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you how this process goes from faith in him to fruitful for him. Can I just, he's desiring our faithfulness. And listen, when we're faithful, he'll be fruitful. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need some time to talk through something. Maybe you need me to pray for you. But can I tell you something else more than just me? Maybe you need to come right here at this altar. Maybe you need to turn your pew into an altar. Maybe you just need to spend time with God and say, God, I'm right where Paul's talking about in Colossians 2. This is where I am in the process. Here's where I'm falling short. Here's where I need your help. Jesus, as I came in faithful obedience, I want to continue in faithful obedience now. Listen, I don't know how he wants you to respond, but however he does, you do so now. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you. Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you, God, for our time.